0: Hello and welcome to the Future of UX podcast. I'm Patricia Reiner, UX UI designer and creative resident at Adobe. So in this episode, I spoke with Vitaly Friedman. He's a designer, developer and founder of the Smashing magazine. Many of you probably know it. It's an online blog about design, coding and UX, and they are putting a huge focus on ethical design and how to design for a better web. I really love the articles there and yeah, I can highly recommend to check them out, actually. So it was super inspiring hearing Vitaly's story and how he got into design or actually web design, although his background is kind of different. I met Vitaly last year um, at the awards conference in New York where he gave a super inspiring talk about ethical design. I will probably never forget this talk because he shared so many amazing examples and tips about how um, how to design more ethically and how to avoid dark patterns as well i linked this talk in the show notes in case you want to check it out Uh, i can really recommend that so i was super curious to hear uh, vitaly's take on ethical design in the future and how he sees like ethical design evolving Um, yeah which is always a little bit tricky so we actually ended up talking about many, many different things, also about productivity and career and how to get into UX and also about the future of design. So this episode is packed with many useful tips, uh, tips, tricks and career advices. So let's get started. First of all, hi Vitaly. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's super awesome finally speaking to you and asking your other questions. Um, but before we are starting, I would uh, like you to Talk a little bit about yourself. So I prepared some smaller questions to, um, yeah, to get to know you a little bit better. So first of all is, what do you do for a living, and what's your background actually?
1: Well, first of all, actually, thank you so much for having me. Um, frankly, I have no idea what I do with my life. This is pretty much uh, the state of things for me. Um, it seems like every day is a little bit different than the other. Sometimes I would be spending a lot of time designing. Sometimes I'll be spending a lot of time just uh, kind of thinking and planning. You know, I really like planning. Um, but originally, my, like, my, my background really is somewhere between design and front-end, because I'm always getting bored in things. So I was spending quite a bit of time back in, actually late 1990s, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. designing things and uh, speci- specifically really weird things, uh, like VRML, virtual worlds, and all kind of stuff, because I was very curious. So I think that my, my background really is, you know, this gateway into design somehow. I never studied design properly. Uh, I never studied, like, front-end properly, to be honest. Uh, I did study mathematics and computer science, but it was more like a hardcore computer science and stuff. Um, and because I'm always bored, I'm kind of always in between there, and then I'm jumping back, and then I'm moving into design because I really like typography and stuff. So I don't know. This is uh, you tell me. I have no idea
0: and how did you get into design
1: um frankly i needed the money if i'm being very honest so around (laughs) 2001 or so 2002 um my parents brought me to germany so essentially i was um studying in school and then i went to university in germany um but uh, you know i didn't have anything and i had to really fight for every penny so to say and then i just found a little note somewhere in a um, I don't know, it's, it was hidden somewhere on a, one of those walls in universities, um, hidden remote parts where I just passed by, and there was a position for webmaster, and I had no idea what it means, but I played a little bit in, like, in late 90s with the web, so I felt like, oh, maybe that's something I could do. Um, and then essentially, that was my gateway into that thing, and so we designed and built and um, you know, with CSS at the time already, uh, I mean, slowly, I think, yeah, I think so. Um, with CSS already, we actually started building some really, really weird things, tables plus CSS plus a bit of green background. That's me.
0: Wow. Okay. Um. Interesting to hear your background story. I, I didn't really know that. So super interesting. Um. So how does a typical day in your life looks like now? Um, because now you switch like completely to design, right? So what kind of things do you do usually during the day?
1: Well, you mean like now, now or now in general?
0: Oh uh, well, yeah. No, I mean, n- I think like generally, not only during like Corona time, but like generally. Yeah.
1: I think like one of the most important things that I learned from a good friend of mine uh, is this really simple idea of breaking the entire day into three parts. And so... For every, every given day, I'll be doing three different projects, so to say. Um, and it's not necessarily design; It could be really anything. But uh, the way I structure it really is in chunks of three hours, maybe two and a half hours, and then breaks in between. Um, and that means that before I go to sleep, for example, I usually write down some things I want to accomplish next day, and it's realistic. It's not something like, oh, I really want to change the world or something. No, um, It's uh, just you know my work routine broken down into parts and essentially that means that in the morning I could be designing uh, in the evening I could be writing and in between I could be just you know email and stuff like that Um, and it's really heavily depends of course on the timelines and the deadlines but it also depends on what I'm interested in I guess Um, because sometimes I just too passionate to stop I can't I just can't stop so yeah, that's kind of my uh, my workflow, I guess. It's not very structured in terms of, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to do when, but uh, I always plan a little bit ahead of time to be excited enough to get it done well, I hope.
0: Okay, interesting that you're sharing your day or divide your day in three parts. Um, that's a really interesting idea. Um, definitely makes sense. Um, so you, I mean, you're talking about like doing design work and writing and those kind of things, but I know that you're also doing like talks and workshops and those kind of things. Um, How did you actually start with that? And how, how, how was this actually like involving? How did you integrate that in your like job kind of? Um,
1: Yeah. It's actually a very interesting question because for, I think for the last decade or so uh, I've been trying very hard to find things that I'm really bad at and then try to get better at this. Um, that could be something like, you know, choosing wine, or like, but it's really, I think it's really important to identify what you are really, really bad at. That, will, I mean, there are many things that everybody is bad at, but there are certain things that they're really just horrible at. You know, it's really difficult to be bad at, you know, a screwdriver if you need to, you know, put a pin in a wall or so. But then choosing wine, you can be really bad at that. And so, I tried to find those things. And so for quite a while, I thought that I'm really bad at speaking. I just, you know, I don't have this kind of presence. Um, I mean, we're talking maybe, you know, my first, I gave my very first talk in 2006. And it was a really bad talk. I mean, it's still online and I can send you a link. It's horrible in so many different ways. And after that, in 2006, I actually stopped for a while because I didn't really enjoy it. It felt like a lot of work. I didn't feel like it was great and, and everything. And so, 2006 I stopped and then eventually, somewhere in 2010 or maybe 2011, um, there was an invitation to a conference and I was very reluctant for at first. And then I thought, okay, I'm really bad at that, so maybe I should try to do something with it. Um, and I didn't go to coaching and stuff, but I was just really, it was very interesting for me. I remember it because I actually kind of just took a walk And then I was really thinking about what would make a good talk, not in terms of content, I mean that has to be there as well, but like what would make a really good experience for attendees to learn something, like on a very abstract level, not in terms of like this is a talk and this is a structure and things like that. But how would you even want to be, you know, see somebody on stage and I was thinking about people who I like, uh, who are on stage. And then it kind of evolved and I really enjoyed it all of a sudden. Um, It was in Switzerland, actually, in 2011, I believe. Yeah, something like that. And I really enjoyed it and I felt like, oh wow, that's really interesting, that's very exciting and you get to meet people and the community and, you know, I always felt like there is this very important part of mine. um, Kind of, I really want to share, I want to learn, I want to connect, communicate. Uh, I used to be extremely introverted, now I feel like at times I'm extremely extroverted. That's pretty strange um, but for me it was really a gateway again I, I not really talk about gateways today but for me it was a gateway to um, to be able to share what I've learned and learn from others and so later then I started doing workshops which is essentially the same all the things that I learned kind of shared with people you know who are coming to the workshops um, offline or online doesn't matter um, and this is just Became a part of what I really like doing. I really like teaching. I guess.
0: Wow! I wow, that's that's so interesting to hear and super fascinating for me actually. Because um, like I remember when we met, it was in like in New York at the awards conference, and you were actually like moderating the whole show and also gave like a really awesome talk. It was so fun; everyone really loved it. So I think it's always fascinating if you know people are saying I was actually really bad at that, but then. I don't know, at some point I decided that I want to get better, and I don't know, you obviously got better. I don't know, I haven't seen your first talk, so I can't really say well, if it Patricia, was Patricia, I will bad,
1: send you, the first, uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, the first talk. It's Actually, sometimes I actually look at it just to, I don't know, it's, it kind of gives me some sort of hope that I am getting better at things. So, <laughs> yeah, I can send it to you.
0: But it, I think it's a really great advice, actually, for the listeners as well, because so many people, especially if they're early in their career, have those fears or those areas where they are actually n- not the best at or actually really bad. Um, but, yeah, there is some, like, opportunities, actually, to, to get better, right? Oh, yes. Right,
1: I, think, I think it's really important that uh, we kind of identify our weak spots. I mean, that's been a very important thing for me, actually. Uh, really, I mean, I think it's just not a matter of really you know, tackling them necessarily. But understanding that I'm not really good at this, so I'm not really good at that. Mm-hmm. And this awareness actually helps you to uh, make decisions better. Because maybe if there is a decision to make, um, you can kind of weigh in your ambition or your interest against, you know, your you know, self-reflection in terms of, you know, am I really good at this or should I really start working on that? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important skill to have.
0: Makes absolutely sense. Um, I think really great advice. Um, and I, uh, I honestly really loved the like the talk you gave at the awards conference, which I just mentioned, um, because I, I will probably never forget that because you talked about ethical design more or less, or like to how design, how to design for a better web, um, and I think it was so so fascinating because um, at the moment when we are designing, or like I think many of the people who are listening at the moment can relate to the problems you talked about that we are sometimes like integrating dark patterns or like manu- ma- trying to manipulate the user a little bit. So um, that's actually not the things which we are kind of aiming for. So I was wondering what kind of tips do you actually have um, when it comes to like designing more ethically or like designing for a better web? Do we have some like tips for designers which I can like use right away?
1: Yeah, I think it really depends on how you want to frame this discussion because I think when we try to argue with our... I mean, it's first of all, we need to kind of roll back. It's not like designers are bad by design, right? Designers and don't want to, you know, make somebody else's life worse and they don't want to, you know, help businesses profit off weak people and anything of that kind. I think that, I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit naive, but I really do believe in the kind of general default human kindness and people. Um, and uh, what we kind of don't know how to do though is how to sell ethical design. Mm-hmm. It sounds a bit strange because you know, it's ethical, it's kind of best practices, why would you want to sell it? Uh, we try to sell everything else, right? Everything. We try to sell our projects, we try to sell our kind of experience and all books, uh, everything. Um, but I think we really need to learn and this is probably the main obstacle there and the challenge uh, how to make a case for ethical design how can we argue about it right Um, and that means that you know one of the really simple takeaways is that this is what I'm trying to do every time I'm talking to a client and every time working with companies that maybe you know really want to boost conversion but also want to be kind of kind and all uh, I asking for just one thing I need a half a day with a developer um, and preferably designer, um, and then I need to be able to test the prototype in production on the weakest traffic time ever, probably Saturday morning, right? Because I do need to produce some sort of results. And in many ways, you know, it's not like if you if your interface is cleaner, then it's going to sell better, right? But if you have a lot of transparency going on, like where you really make it very clear um, you know, that, you know, what the return costs are and uh, what the fees are and so on. And most of the time you see that you end up with better results. Um, and that actually really shows. Um, if you can test your mock-up or your design or anything uh, on the weakest time, look out for some sort of uh, indicators that can actually help your manager succeed or get better. How can you boost any business KPIs? And most of the time you can. You just need to understand what it involves. Because there are many hidden costs um, that are involved, like you know, return fees and customer support and all of that. And if you can say that your new design actually works better in terms of reducing this cost, not necessarily increasing conversion, these are slightly different things, right? Um, that can be really, really important and can help. And the other thing I think is really important is we shouldn't be afraid of trying things that feel authentic and right and honest. Uh, I really do believe that we just need to make a case for it. You can't just come to a manager and say, we need to do this because it's ethical. I don't think this is going to work. I th- it never worked for me. Um, but you need to kind of frame the problems that exist and the interest that your manager has, uh, which is probably boosting KPIs and some sort of you know, promotions or things like that, into a slightly more you know, honest, transparent design. And in many ways there are connections. and They might not be obvious, but this is your job then to find them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that makes sense. So re- Your recommendation is actually like, to argument a little bit from, like, the business point of view and talk about KPIs. Yes. Um, yeah. I, like- I
1: think, yeah, I think, Patricia, really, we know how to, you know, make designs honest and nice and friendly and all. It's just every time there is a, you know, a new Trello card or a new Jira board card about pop-ups and light boxes, we usually don't question that. And maybe it's not our role to be it sometimes, but we are, the only, you know, we, we are the only protection that our customers have against all this horrible stuff that's happening on the web. Mm-hmm. So if you can make a case and say, maybe instead of pop-up, we should be really thinking about this and come up with some sort of studies. And there are some great resources I can send you later which uh, will actually highlight so that if you do that, the conversion might go up and the performances goes up, goes up as well, um, and just make a case. That's very important.
0: Okay, so that's probably really helpful for for people if they know how to argument. And in the end, I think many designers actually really want the best for the user, but at some point. Um, discussions are getting like so difficult um, that at some point you maybe say like, okay, okay, we, we will see how that goes. And then there are some dark patterns integrated and like maybe through user testing, you realize that um, there are some problems occurring, but maybe even not, um, that's also yeah. possible,
1: right? Yeah, that's a great point that you're bringing up here as well, because user testing can mix, can, can do magic actually. So if you have a chance to talk to your customers, um, it's enough to have let's say maybe four, seven people or so um, and see how they experience it. Like, you will find a lot of time when we actually have this install app prompt at the top, which is just extremely, you know, annoying most of the time to people. Um, they will just close it away. And there is, of course, the, you know, the data will tell you that there, there is maybe 0.5% or if you're lucky, 1% of people who actually install the app, right? But then what you really need to test is what if we kill it for one day and measure conversion? Yeah. that's not going to cost you that much just pick again a slow day and try that Um, I think there are many of those things that can be done and tested and of course you need to measure right because you can't really track something that you don't measure so and that's quite uh, straightforward actually but I think that in many ways we are just taking a passive role at times saying that oh well we don't want to argue and stuff Um, I think we actually will make it better for the business if we do argue but again, this is not something you can convince everybody of, but you know it's a good try.
0: Yeah, I completely agree that's definitely a good point um with the user testing. that makes sense. Like to test different versions and then see if the conversion is like much better or um like and then argument with that, right? Um and another uh, point where I'm actually like really excited to hear your opinion about is um the problem with like you know behavioral design. so many things are if you see that from the psychological area you already have those tips and tricks how to guide the users through I don't know different I would say like some kind of patterns you know for example if you look at like booking.com for example and you see this like little area popping up of like oh three other people are watching that and there's only one room left and um you don't really know if that's true, but the user gets like super stressed and gets like the feeling that they need to buy that. And I'm wondering like from the business perspective, it's, it's probably pretty good, but like for the user, it's really stressful and not the best way. So I'm wondering like, how would you, what would you actually like consult in those kind of cases? Like for example, with not only booking.com, but those things.
1: Yeah, I think... Um... So, this is kind of a long term game here, right? So, I think that booking.com is not necessarily a bad service. It's not like they have, you know, again, mean designers or so working mm-hmm. there. Um, but the, there is this notion of loyalty that's kind of very important. And I think that people are not stupid, really. It's like we often think that users they will just click here, they will just click here, or they will just do that, or they will just, you know. Um, but I think that people are really, uh, they understand what is going on, they don't trust our services. Every time you start talking to customers they will don't trust all those little badges and things like that essentially they're trying to ignore them right and um, while in the past it might have worked really well right uh, when you say oh it's only two things left and so on and of course it's a psychological trick that will still work every now and again uh, but the question then is you know still you know can we measure it somehow for example if somebody does buy uh, you know book a room uh, and eventually you know realize that it's maybe not a great idea. Uh, can they actually cancel? They probably will be able to cancel. But then, what about the cancellation fees and stuff? Um, and how do people rate Booking.com? Right? It's kind of uh, it's very difficult to say because you know if you're somebody of the size of Booking.com or Google or whatever, it's you can do in many ways almost almost everything what you like, right? Um, but it's about the long term game. And so the thing is that if somebody comes up with a service that's pretty much like booking but doesn't have all these fancy things, it might not have the same conversion but it might have a much stronger loyalty. And there is a difference because if you think about conversion, it's like you, you go in there, there are rooms, I'm booking a room, that's it. But if you want somebody to you know, subscribe for a membership or things like that, you need to establish a long-lasting relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of really about, it's very much like befriending somebody or building a relationship with somebody. I don't want to be friends with Booking.com. It's a very annoying and noisy friend. It's probably going to annoy me with calls and everything like that. But, you know, maybe there are services that I can befriend and then I'll be happy to use them even although they might be a little bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. And right now we're still in this position where, of course, you know, booking and um, similar services are prevalent and they are getting, you know, the conversion is high and all of that. But the question is, you know, what about, you know, looking into the next three, four, five years? If there is a competitor and there are competitors, um, will it be consistent and sustainable Mm long-term? That's a question that everybody has to answer on their own, every single company. But it's very hard to, I mean, if you are working in an environment which is so focused on conversion and, psychology this is i I don't think you will be able to to make any difference um it just you know you'll be able to increase conversion but you will not be able to make things a bit more transparent
0: yeah that makes sense um but i think like what you just mentioned about like building relationships um and like imagine that kind of firm as a friend and that's already that really makes a lot of sense because this really relates to like what happens in the future. So in the next years, so in the next like five or 10 years, how successful will this company be in the long term? Um, and I'm also wondering like, what's your, um, what your, what's your take on that? Like, how do you see the future of the web? What do you think will become important? What's, what's really like important from your point of view to keep in mind, um, today when we're designing for the web?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting question because, you know, the future, who knows about the future? Mm. But I know a little bit about the past, right? And I think it's, um, it's kind of interesting to see that over the last decade, the design has got much better. I mean, whether we want it or not, if we look into, you know, all the iterations that happened in the last 20 years or so, um, it's been quite remarkable how far we've moved from very much, you know, broken and sturdy and inflexible web to the web that we have we have now and I think it's very rare that some company or any design agency that would release a website today I don't think they can afford creating a really bad website it just you know responsive is probably expected right uh, maybe even some basic accessibility issues are expected right and maybe when performance is expected so when I look forward I think that we will be I mean we are looking in a very nice future I think if we're kind of keeping on track and evolving things and we've been really, I mean, pioneering in best practices, like the entire community has done a tremendous job on that, right? Um, I think we'll have a very beautiful, fast, accessible interfaces. Um, there are many things that are happening on different fronts. Uh, and so if we look, of course, in performance, we're not in a, bad, in a good place now. But there are incredible, you know, browser engineers working on things and uh, tooling is getting better and better every time. Um, and designers are getting better as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are kind of two sides to it, frankly, because on the one hand you have designers who are just getting better at design because they're, you know, getting senior. And then you also have new people coming in who can rely on things that have already been built or designed because we have frameworks and stuff. And I'm not a big fan of using all of those frameworks but uh, they give customers a pretty predictable and um, in many ways good enough experience. So if we look at the broad scope of things, um, I think it looks pretty bright. Um, The only thing that kind of bothers me still is that we kind of have forgotten how to stand out a little. Uh, And if you are competing with somebody, you really want to be a bit different now it's very hard to be different today because you know you have all the frameworks and tooling and it's all you know everybody's doing great work Um, but you know kind of really need to learn that because there are some really strange examples of websites that have been created um, by freelancers and design agencies that look like they're from the 90s or strange table layouts and frames and all that and I asked myself actually uh, is it difficult to do it today I mean, everybody was doing it in like in late 90s or early 2000s. But I think that if we take a look at modern designers, they will struggle like crazy to create it because it's so different. It's not like you have a predictable grid and layout and stuff. It's just totally out of control. It's just weird and confusing and everything is all over the place. We're not used to that. So my hope is really that we kind of will find our way back and not necessarily have more flasher-like websites. But we'll find that way to bring a personality of every single brand to shine on the, on the websites and apps that we're creating. Um, that, I think, is a good thing. The other story, of course, is you know, apps versus websites. And if we will have websites at all uh, you know, 10 years from now, we probably will, I think. I like websites. Do you like websites, Patricia?
0: Um, yeah. yeah, I like websites. But I also like apps, to be honest. So I'm more, you know, smartphone generation, I need to
1: say. Yeah, that's, that's fine. But I kind of like, like websites. So <laughs> um, I think one way or the other, you know, when it comes to websites, we still need to optimize for mobile devices. And so I think that I'm looking at the very positive side of things. I mean, just last month, um, I saw students create, like students who may be, you know, designing for the third or fourth month of their life, right? Because I was teaching in Ukraine, in Kiev. And they just came to the web, basically to the mobile design thing, and they couldn't do anything at all, right, when they started. And frankly, when I look at the work they did over the last, you know, two, three months, it's great. I mean, it's a bit predictable, right? It's a bit, you know, you know, the bottom bar, the tabs, and stuff. But um, it's maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay if things are a bit more predictable and generic for now, as long as it's, you know, well, it's working well and accessible for customers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, this was super interesting to hear your uh, your take on that. Uh, actually, I completely agree with, like, the similarity of all the websites and apps and all the frameworks and everything. Um, Good and bad thing, um, I completely agree. So good for young designers who are just like starting out, having all the resources out there, like can even download the Google material guidelines and then play around with with them and already have like all the distances and stuff. So they don't really need to test that or create their own or something or learn that. They they can just use that and then learn that by doing, right? So if you have like a few tips uh, for young designers who are starting out and want to like, become the next design or, or the, the big designs in the next decade. What do you think is important? What what kind of skills, would you recommend them to learn or to have?
1: Well, I think that, there are, you know, there's this basic, th- there's basic things that never go away. And I think if you understand uh, and to work with testing, right, really um, having kind of a close connection to your customers mm-hmm. and design around that, that will drive you to the best place ever. Uh, I mean, from my personal experience, probably the most successful companies are the ones that uh, listen to customers. And I'm not meaning mean, I don't mean it in a way like, you know, let's just say what our, let's just hear what our customers want and then I'll just build something for them. But more like you have a concept, you have an idea, you need to kind of constantly be in the loop, like really testing things and getting feedback And it's not even about improving interface this way, but like being really connected to the people who are using your sites or apps. I think that's very important, Um, especially in times when we have all the social media and all this stuff. Uh, I think it's people people are really picky when it comes to trusting anybody. And so they're trusting brands that they like, that they can be friends with, right? Or the Mm -hmm. people that, you know, the brands that other people, other friends have recommended. And I think this notion of relationships is a very critical one. So if you can, can find a way to develop a story, a personality, design, um, you know, customer service, because all of it is a part of design, um, to make it feel like it's a friend, or you know, be authentic, be honest, even if you, know, you have maybe some values that not everybody agrees with, that's perfectly fine, because that's your personality in the end. right? Um, I think that these things are really important. And another thing that's important at least this is something that has been very crucial for me is to understand that while we tend to break people into groups, right? Designers, developers, QA, testing, you know, and so on. I think that in the end, every single person who is involved in a product or project uh, is a designer. It doesn't matter if you don't, you know, use Sketch or you don't use Axure or Envision or anything of the kind. Because every front end developer who is changing forms. Or buttons or position of a button is making the same decisions uh, without maybe even thinking about it right and so every single person is essentially a designer in a company and so if you can you know wrap this user centric journey um, at the very core of a product then you're probably in a good place because you'll be improving things really in a very close connection to the customer and of course there are tools there are books psychology never hurts like um, mm-hmm understanding how people think and what makes them laugh and so on is fine. And I think it's really interesting to, I mean, I keep repeating this, but I think it's really interesting to bring the kind of level of personality to your work. For example, I like Chocolates. Do you like Chocolates, Patricia?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very much? What's your favorite yeah. Chocolates?
0: Um, I think white chocolate
1: Not necessarily the brand, maybe the, the country.
0: Um, you mean chocolate, right? Yes. From, I would say from Swiss usually, right? Okay,
1: okay. The reason why I'm asking now is that because I like Belgian chocolate, I really do. Yeah, so (laughs) I'm just saying, just saying. Now, I really (laughs) like it and uh, you know, it's really important to have fun, right? And so we just released a Smashing conference, online conference yesterday. Uh, So uh, we just announced it, right? And we've spent quite a bit of time working on the post release and stuff. Uh, and I was really, because I didn't have a Belgian chocolate for a while, I felt like, I really like Belgian chocolate. And so, you know, for the conference, because it's an online conference, you have timings. And you have the schedule and, you know, the US time and so on and so forth. And I just really wanted to play. I always try to bring in a little bit of, you know, a little tiny thing that will make people smile if they discover it. And so there is this, you know, overview of timings and then there is also a couple of cities like new york san francisco and so on and then i brought in antwerp because i went there uh, and i really love antwerp antwerp belgium it's not the capital obviously but you know antwerp belgium and while all the other ones have uh, flags like american flag you know uk flag and so on um i placed the chocolate emoji next to antwerp (laughs)
0: What? Oh, I love that! That's awesome.
1: <laughs> but the cool thing is, uh, I was looking at people because you know we have heat maps as well generated, and people are like people are clicking on the uh, on the chocolate emoji, thinking, "What the hell is this?" Right? And then yesterday evening, because it's really it's like a little tiny thing. It's maybe I don't know four, to, like I don't know six pixels, maybe eight mm-hmm. pixels, right? Eight times eight, and uh, so I added a link. So if you click on that chocolate emoji. In that you know, because normally you don't see it, it's not underlined or anything. It's just an emoji. You're getting five dollars discount so you can get your own chocolate.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So everyone who listens knows the secret now.
1: Okay, <laughs> you just need it. to search for chocolate emoji and then you'll get it. Because you know, I really awesome. miss it. And this is it. There is no you know, it's not like there is a conversion test going on yeah. and you know, it's just no. fun. And people who discover it, they will not forget it.
0: That's true. That's, that's, that's super cool. So I definitely need to check that out. Uh, so you just mentioned the conference, uh, right? You you like announced yesterday. Um, could you talk like super briefly about like how people could uh, participate? How could they join? Um, can you like sign up for that? How does that work actually?
1: Yeah, so we've been uh, kind of looking into online in general for the last few weeks. And it's interesting because many companies really try to replicate the in-person events uh, online. And we kind of looked at the other th- side of things. We tried to really, you we know, were interviewing people and talking to people, trying to understand what, um, what a really nice online experience would be. Because when I started talking to people, um, I heard things like webinars, and, you know, corporate and boring and broken software and all those things. And we didn't want webinars. And so we started running online workshops, which essentially is a more you know relaxed learning experience where you have a lot of time with the teacher. Essentially, you take a full day workshop and it's split into five parts, uh, two hours uh, sessions, um, and they split over you know days or weeks sometimes. So we would have Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, and. Thursday, for example. And there's enough a lot of uh, time for people to talk, so there's a lot of time for people to actually participate and they don't have to chunk the entire you know, day to that or dedicate to that. And it's also family friendly because you know, most of us are in lockdowns at this point now. Mm-hmm. And then we started looking into conferences as well. And we designed a totally new experience where the important bit, I guess, is um, that speakers are doing something interactively live with the audience. It's not just a talk, it's like you really, I mean, the, this is the goal of it. Uh, you really have to do something interactive. So audience has to, be, has to feel like it's a very important part of it, right? Awesome. Um, and a couple of other, you know, things. But yes, we did announce it. It's happening in June 9th, 10th, mm-hmm. um, Antwerpen time between 5 p.m. And, <laughs> and 12 uh, and 10 p.m., I believe
0: okay awesome awesome. so i think like you you can all find that on the smashing magazines uh website probably dot com i will link that in the show notes so people can check it out as well um yeah that sounds super awesome i will definitely uh check that out later and would recommend you recommend everyone actually to check that out sounds super interesting especially interactivity sounds super cool um also from my experience with all the online things which are going on so some interactivity is really good good yes. way to Thank yeah, with it. engage with the people right so um, I have some final questions now for you first of all thanks for sharing all those valuable insights I think it was super interesting and uh, really awesome for everyone and um, to get your opinion on all those um, areas um, so um, Of course, you, I mean, one area, one of the resources you would probably recommend is the Dike Smashing Magazine's uh, blog, but do you have any other uh, resources, could be books or blogs or articles, What you would recommend, also podcasts as well, so everything, like what kind of resources would you recommend?
1: Right, so I think one, I mean, I really like books, but also books that are not related to what I do at all. Uh, one of the really good books that I read recently was on form design patterns that we actually published. <laughs> Sorry about that. But uh, I never had okay. a chance to read it, actually. Um, and it's all about form patterns and everything that you need to know when designing forms. I think we totally underestimate forms at times because they're everywhere. And they make a really important, like, they're really very important part of every experience. That so that's a really good one. Um, beyond that, I go to uie.com, which is Jared Spool. Mm-hmm. He's publishing a lot of blog articles there as well. Uh, And then there is also uxdesign.cc, I believe, which is kind of like a blog on Medium.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Beyond that, um, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm really excited about going and wandering on Japanese websites and Russian websites. I mean the i mean japanese is not different but russian designs or russian speaking designs well Cyrillic designs incredibly weird sometimes and good as well so there is a growing repository of russian websites or like russian speaking websites and also japanese ones and they, i will send them uh, send the links to you as well and it's just totally out of control now for me this is the inspiration pure i mean it's not necessarily like, everything is great, everything is bad, of course. But you will find things that you will never even imagine in your life. And if you want to break out of your creative block, you just go to five of them and that's it, right? So, wow. And I always like kind of looking for patterns there. Maybe there are certain things that they did well or not so well. And it's just crazy. I mean, for me, these two are, you know, if I'm bored, this is much better than TikTok or Instagram together. <laughs>
0: Okay, that's awesome. I, ne- I need to check that out because I can't imagine something better than Instagram and TikTok. Okay, yes, so totally. I need to check that out. Um, if people want to find you or follow your work or just like check out what you're doing, how, where can they find you?
1: Uh, well, uh, Smashing Mag on Twitter, but also, um, you know, we do a lot of stuff online now. So, smashingconf.com and smashingmagazine.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Beyond that, I probably you know at some point when I'm allowed to leave this apartment uh, you will probably meet me at some conferences Well, mm-hmm. if they will take place if not um, we will also run online workshops and maybe online conferences we'll meet sometimes that'll be nice um, I think yeah that's pretty much it very much everything's smashing you'll be able to find us
0: <laughs> that sounds awesome so really easy to find I guess a lot of people already know you probably from like all the things you did online Um so yeah awesome thank you so much for for your time and everything it was awesome speaking to you and thank you for all those insights as well so thank you thank very much Richard.
1: and thank you so much patricia as well for having me Yay. and all the, rest of the wonderful people around you who actually chose to listen to this wonderful podcast
0: <laughs> yeah thank you thank you as well <laughs> Wow what an episode so thank you so much for listening and check out the show notes for other resources and another thing which would be so helpful is if you would rate the podcast on iTunes of course only if this was helpful for you and if you enjoyed this episode so thank you so 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 much and yeah hear you in the future